everyone and welcome to the Social Work Story Podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and I'm here beside my mate, my microphone mate, Dr Mim Fox. Hello Mim. Hello Liz. Hello everyone. You going okay? Doing well, doing well. Hey Liz, we're just going to jump straight into it tonight because um, there's lots of content in this episode, isn't there? Yeah, lots, of, lots to listen to and lots to talk about. And... Like what we often do, um, I want to start this episode by just letting people know tonight's topic is on miscarriage and a social work intervention around that. So if this is something that is close to home, close to your heart, as Mim said in one of the episodes, you might want to go and have a cuppa somewhere and you're more than welcome to come and join us in about, oh, I reckon about 17 minutes and <laughs> exactly. you can enjoy the supervision session if you like with us so for those listeners who've been regularly listening to our episodes you might remember in episode three we had the wonderful Deb DeWild talk about the work she does around memory making and and therapy with families who have had a stillbirth Tonight's episode is about uh, a social worker, two social workers in fact, who work with a couple who have had a miscarriage. And we're going to start by listening to our first social worker talk through beautifully the sequence of, of her intervention with this couple. Do you want to say anything, Mim, before we kick off and listen to her story? I think just for people to uh, hear the really a close interesting way that this social worker describes her practice really gives some nice detail around it Uh, it's something that we often don't get to hear from social workers a lot we often Mm. see the outcomes or the impact but don't necessarily get it broken down in this way so I think that's the gift of this story tonight and her emphasis on language yeah Mm. let's play it let's play it So I received a referral one day um, from the medical team that work um, via the delivery suite and they had contacted me um, to let me know that there was a couple that had presented for one of their routine scans um, at 19 weeks and they um, found out at this scan, the parents found out that the baby didn't have a heartbeat um, and they had attended the scan and then been moved up to the delivery suite to meet with the doctors to find out more information and get a bit of information about what to do next. I never know what I'm going to walk into. It's realistically, um, uh, it's so unique in every single case. Um, So getting the information from the doctors about what gestation the woman's at, um, you know, what other pregnancies she's had or what support she's got in the room with her at the time. Like, none of this really helps me know exactly what I'm going to do and say when I go into the room, but it just builds a picture for me so that I'm not going in there blind. So in this particular case, I, I um, walked into the room and, um, and sat down and um, the couple were in their own room on the delivery suite and um, I met with both mum and dad and introduced myself and they were a mess obviously like they were crying and first thing that I will always do in these situations um, is acknowledge a parent's loss so you know that's what they're what news they've just had is this um, earth-shattering news and 
after after acknowledging their loss, um, I guess I I didn't know what to say at first when I met these parents because I think. Um, you, you never know like I don't know I, I know a little bit of information for the doctors but that means nothing to me in a way like it doesn't say anything to me about this couple's story and so I, I just sat with them I you know past tissues and um, you know I, I think tried to, to convey in my own body language that I was here as a support and that I was happy just to listen at their pace um, because realistically I just needed to see where they were at and what what interpretation or what what feelings and what they were making of the news that they'd had so far so and then I guess it's about a time thing so I then I slowly worked with them um, in conversation to um, to get some more information from them and and asking them what you know what information what they've been told so far um, and then letting them tell me their story that they had you know just traveled this huge journey to come to this appointment today um, anticipating that everything was going to be fine just as they had before when you know they've gone through all of the antenatal care for for their other little toddler at home and um, you know when they had this news it was it just broke their hearts and their worlds just didn't seem the same to them anymore so I you know I sat there and I listened to their story um, about what had happened in the journey of, of getting there today. Um, I had no motivation for, for going through anything else with them at that point because, um, you know, it takes time to digest that information and um, I don't feel like it's the best thing to go in and, and say to a family that we've, you know, we can provide certain information um, necessarily at the get-go. It's really dependent on speaking to them first and just seeing how they're feeling about the situation. You know, what we feel is that the, the clients, regardless of what setting we're seeing people, they're the experts in their situation. And I certainly wasn't setting any pace for what information that they wanted to or needed to hear at, at any stage. And, um, you know, I, I work under the impression, um, oh, sorry, following, um, in, in previous experience I have had feedback from parents that have told me that you know they received information that they weren't ready for and I think that that's really important because um, for me to reflect on whenever I'm talking to anyone because it's not about me getting my job done and, and explaining what um, the process will look like after this mum has delivered her baby but it's about being there sitting with them bearing witness to their current grief and actually taking the time and the opportunities when they arise to meet their needs so I'm led by I was led by this couple I um, was led by their cues um, and when they approached me and and wanted some specific information they would ask questions or you know and we can't ex expect that families will know what questions to ask because they've never they had never gone through this before this couple had a healthy pregnancy last time and have a healthy um, beautiful son right now so they didn't feel well they didn't they certainly didn't ask me any questions um, about what was going to happen after the delivery um, so I gently you know mentioned to them that we um, can consider things later on um, about creating some memories about maybe spending some time with the baby um, and when I mentioned these few things to them um, 
the the couple did not appear ready at all to be talking about what was going to happen at that stage. They'd just had this news. They'd just travelled this long journey. They were really tired um, and quite preoccupied with the idea of going home to their son, um, who was being cared for by grandparents at the time. So, um, you know, facilitating the doctors to come into the room to answer their questions um, about the medical process for when they were to be readmitted to the ward. Um, that was what I felt was the most important thing to do at that stage. And, and look, having after having the doctor come into the room and explain the process, I found that the doctors are, are just amazing too in, in providing that empathy and support for the families. And um, again, when the families don't know, you know, um, the questions that, that need to be asked, you know, I witness the doctors giving the examples of what other families have chosen to do in such similar um, situations and I think that the parents really um, appreciate that because there's no right or wrong way of doing it but hearing from what other families have chosen certainly does um, give them at least some choice and some options available. We're, we're hoping to prevent any disenfranchised grief by actually providing support um, and giving families the opportunity um, to, to explain their story, to give a narrative to what their, what their loss actually is and using language that, that um, supports that, that story and that loss, which thereby we're giving them permission to actually grieve this loss and saying, yes, it is a loss. And um, with this particular um, couple, they didn't know what they were having and you know I'm led by um, what families use in terms of their own language to describe their baby. I find that often families don't necessarily refer to um, the loss as a baby possibly and um, until maybe we even go there softly with them and I find myself um, you know found myself in this situation saying to the couple are you happy for me to refer to um, to Bub as Bub? I feel a bit silly. I haven't got a name yet. You know, is is that something you you both talked about? And and they reflected on their their conversations about girls and boys' names. And um, you know, they were looking forward to finding out what they were having. So getting back to this couple um, in the delivery suite, um, I spoke to them again this day that they were admitted to to give birth and. Um, spoke to them about seeing the baby. Now this was something that seemed quite a foreign concept to either of them and as it is to most parents I guess because they don't really know what the right or wrong thing is to do and there certainly isn't a right or wrong thing really. We, again we're just providing options, choices for, for couples. So. Um, so I, you know, again gently um, encouraged um, them and, and said that we're there to support them with spending time with their baby if that's what they would find helpful. I was having conversations with this couple about previous experiences of grief because um, it wasn't all too long ago that mum had lost somebody very special to her in her in her life and, and that um, complicated this experience for her um, and, and certainly shaped her own responses. To, to this loss so I was exploring these things and I guess indirectly you know like you do as a social worker on, on many of the other wards it's um, it's this gentle psychosocial assessment um, but I 
am very reluctant to, to ever say I'm doing an assessment with someone in this space because I'm there to provide support and see where they're at and they lead me with what they need and when they need it. Um, so um, I'll get information from them, but that will be very um, much through their telling their story. You know, what supports have this couple got? Um, what experiences they've had with loss in the past? Um, because it shapes how I relate to the, them now and, and what supports, you know, encouraging them to access their supports when they've actually left the building. Um, often my conversations are, are around, um, you know, that support that they get from people on the outside because it, often in the community these issues are sort of masked or hidden and not spoken about or, or minimised. So, you know, it's not through a lack of intention to want to support somebody but it's actually just that uncertainty about how to best do that um, you know like with any grief I suppose some people are always going to minimize it or try and avoid the topic um, as an attempt to um, avoid having a distressing conversation for somebody but I guess what we know as social workers is just actually allowing that space for them to, to share how they're feeling and their experiences um, is that's what we do that's what we offer and in in pregnancy loss situations it it's all the more important because it is such a it's a type of loss that is just not recognized um, as much in society and I think you know being mindful too of the different cultures that people are bringing yeah are, are coming from um, the cultural background of clients um, because um, you know different cultures see pregnancy loss in different ways too but I you know from my experience the majority of, um, of families appreciate the support and it's not even necessarily the parents it's often the grandparents too that um, are happy to speak with social workers and actually behind the scenes get the you know um, more detailed information about what happens next how can I help my kids go through this um, you know I can I can make calls and and organise things for them and, and often parents are really happy to, to have the grandparents support with things, stuff like that. So providing support to the whole family is just crucial. So throughout the day, um, particularly um, before she was re experiencing any pain and we knew anything was going to happen, um, my role really was just popping in and out. Um, I, I usually, I, I touched base with this couple and, and said that I was available to do that. And I, I just asked them straight out whether they would want me to um, continue to come back and just touch base and see how they're going and see if they've thought of any questions that they had or just want some additional support. And they were happy for me to do that. So um, the intervention just continued throughout the day on a bit of a sporadic sort of basis. Um, and some of those conversations were around um, their gorgeous son at home and... Um, you know, how much insight they thought he had around this um, current pregnancy and this baby and, you know, the possible conversations that they were going to have later on and not even necessarily straight away, but, but you know, in years to come. And, um, you know, I, I continued to give them permission to um, acknowledge that this baby actually was going to be born. We didn't know when, we didn't know how long this was going to take, but... Um, taking the time to, to, to grieve this loss 
um, particularly for mum in context of her other recent um, grief and bereavement that she was experiencing. So, um, so we spoke about those things. Um, mum and dad, neither of them wanted to make any clear decisions at that point. I communicated that back to the midwives because um, just again really important that we're on the same page with what these families um, wishes were and um, I explained to this couple that I wasn't going to be around the next day and that um, yeah so I, I explained to them that I work with another social worker on this ward um, there's just the two of us and um, she can follow up with you um, afterwards you know anytime during the night if anything happens and you want our support we're here So, Mim, the point I want to start from is at the beginning, the way this social worker was able to take us to that moment where she gets a referral, she's having a conversation with the doctors, but do you remember that moment where you come to the door, you're just about to meet the family, and there's that sense of, I have no idea what I'm just about to walk into, but I just got to kind of just centre Deb talked about this a little bit and then just walking in. It's actually a bit of an act of bravery in that moment, isn't it? I like it. You don't know what's going to be there. You don't know what's going to unfold, but you have to just take a breath and walk in. And then she acknowledges the loss. Yeah, I love that that was the first thing she did. It's, I think, I know we might have some differing opinions about this, but I think it's like an act of social work courtesy mm. that... Often we have no words, generally speaking, like outside of the social work tribe, often there are no words that people have for this. But she was very sure-footed in the way she, she said, I go in there and I acknowledge the loss. And if I know the name of this baby, I will use it. But don't you think, Liz, that's actually about enacting respect? Mm. Like we often talk about being respectful. Uh, or showing respect, but we don't talk about how you actually enact respect. How do you practice respect? And I think that's one of the examples that's really crucial to social work practice is actually the acknowledgement of someone's emotional experience, where they're coming from in that moment, what's happened to them mm. in that moment. In society, we brush over this stuff so much. So it has to be crucial in our profession to actually sit with the uncomfortable acknowledge what's gone on. Um, I feel a metaphor coming on. <laughs> okay, bring it on. Okay, Let's I'm go. going for the dance metaphor now. Okay. Mind you, I am a dreadful dancer, so this might be a horrible metaphor, but it's about the who's being led. So I have a sense that she walks into this room, gets a, gets a feel for the mood, the tone of what's going on and she lets them take the lead for part of it and then there are times where she takes over where she guides that in terms of I think one of the things that she said was sometimes they don't know the questions to ask sometimes they don't know what's available in terms of choice in how they deliver the baby for instance yeah so there's this giving over of the lead and taking it over when it's necessary. Did you notice that or did I just imagine that? No, no, you totally got it spot on. I actually really love that metaphor of the dance because sometimes as a social worker you actually need to step right back mm. and allow them to just go off and do their dance 
wherever that's going to take them, whatever it is that's going to happen, you actually need to now step back because it's not about you. And then there's the other time when you need to be the instructor. Absolutely. So this is what's going to happen now. That's right. And I'll invite the doctors in now to fill you in. And I really liked um, that point that she raised, how important it was for the doctors to actually also acknowledge the loss um, and to talk about what other families have told them about what can be really helpful. Yes. That I think that that would have so much power for that couple to hear about, you know, this is what other families have said that they've done or needed to do at the time. Oh, definitely. I also like the way that she spoke about working with a doctor who was really good at that. Yeah. And I think too often we uh, work with other professionals and get disappointed by lack, lack of skills in certain areas. And I like the way that she showed how the relationship could really work together so well in those really crucial moments for family. Mm, mm. Mim, jumping over now, so... This social worker was one of those ones who's also able to articulate the theory that is informing some of their practice. And so I think the fact that she referred to disenfranchised grief was so important because I think it's one of those grief models that is so suited, not just to this loss, but for many of the losses that occur in especially in hospitals but probably in a lot of our clients lives oh absolutely and so what I would say to people is if you haven't actually heard about Kenneth Doker's disenfranchised grief it really is worth looking at because this is um, I guess it refers to the loss that is often not acknowledged by society that can often be invisible and miscarriage is one of those those losses that can Go unnoticed. I think that's absolutely right. And I think we actually don't see a lot of disenfranchised grief as a society. We often uh, hide it, brush it away. And by being able to name it, by being able to say to families, this is actually you're feeling this way in your grief and being able to give them some structure around that is actually really helpful as well. Absolutely. And I think, again, this is another example of when social work absolutely comes to the fore. Um, and actually um, does a whole lot of work at this point of the loss that's going to actually play out in their recovery mm. by actually naming it, by actually giving them permission to grieve, by actually starting to talk about how they're going to weave this little baby into their life story. Yes. Um, yeah, she, she talks that through and the reasons for it beautifully. Really so nicely. Uh, I just want to pick up on that word, life story that you've just said there the word story when I think about listen to actually this social worker speaking what I really could hear was a lot of words describing story so she said the word story she also said the word narrative there were a number of different ways she talked about hearing the experience of these two people Mm. and the idea of where she sits in that as well um We've just spoken a little bit about the instructor and leading, but I think falling into that trap of being expert is actually a really common thing in the story and figuring out where you sit in the narrative of the case that you're watching or you're interacting with is actually quite tricky. And I think um, social work students often struggle with that and then through practice there will always be those cases that challenge you in that way, that make you feel like it was too much about you or you were too involved or you were too 
you were being the expert in that scenario. And I think this story really reminded us that the experts in the scenario have to be the people with the lived experience. Mm. Every time, Mm. absolutely every time. It's so easy, especially with working with involuntary clients or in mandatory settings, to think that we are the experts, but actually to come back to that notion that the person with the lived experience is the expert is, I think, fundamental. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think what this social worker does beautifully, so on top of using disenfranchised grief as the framework, she's also able to listen for some factors that might complicate this grief. So did you notice how she honed in on the fact that the, the mother had lost her own mother just recently? Yeah. Now, that would have been a red flag in her mind. So in some regards, she is the expert yes. of identifying some of the factors that might complicate this woman's grief experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. But she's not going to put that on the experience that the woman's having. But have you noticed that she might call it, like I think at one point she called it the chat? Yes. And you and I have talked about this before about how sometimes, um, you know, when students are actually uh, on placement and they've been observing their supervisor for quite some time having a chat, I'm doing air quotation marks here, listeners, um, with the patient or the client until it comes time for them to give it a crack. And then they come out and they go, oh, my God, it's not at all as easy as what it looks. Yes, the surprise on their faces. Yes, yeah. Mm. And I'm sure this social worker would have woven in a whole lot of chat-like qualities if you like you know referring to I think we were we were kind of talking about the fact that bub might be an Australianism yes referring to the baby as bub that's right yeah I think students um, always want a script it doesn't matter what placement they're on what practice setting they're observing they always want the script what is it that they say I know what is it that they say as soon as they walk through the door what's their opening sentence but at some point, you actually have to get rid of the script. You yes. have to. Because what replaces the script is authenticity. And actually, how do you build rapport and relationship if you actually can't be authentic in the moment? You have to. You have to. So the script might be all very well at the beginning, absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if going into any new job, every social worker thinks to themselves, okay, just what's my script now? Just go back to what I know. But there has to come a point where the script goes out the window because you have to be present with that person in their experience and their experience is never going to follow a script. Individuals and humanity doesn't work that way. Beautifully said, as usual. The point that I just quickly want to raise um, just now before we listen to another section in a minute is um, the work that this social worker started to do with the parents around preparing their toddler for this, you know, how they were going to talk about the loss of this baby. And it might be that the conversation is not done now. It might be a little bit further down the track, but she's already sowing the seed about how they talk about that with their child. And that is a very big part of how social workers work with families when they're experiencing a loss, right? Often parents will say, what am I going to say to the kids about this? Don't you think that's an invisible part of 
<clears throat> social work practice in this space though. Oh, totally. I mean, and it's the most natural thing in the world for the parent to say, help me, how do I communicate with my other child about this experience? Because so many years ago, there would have been a cone of silence around Absolutely. this baby ever existing. You wouldn't have told the children anything Not at really. all. Yeah. It would have been one minute mummy's, you know, going off or the tummy's growing and mummy's going off to have a baby and the next minute... Mummy's sick. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So um, we've learnt so much from our, our practice in terms of best best practice around recovering from from um, a loss like a miscarriage uh, and she's already sowing those seeds beautifully so now Mim we're going to listen to another social worker before we do Liz I just want to jump in and say I think we need to do another episode in the future about how do we talk to parents about children's Great idea. loss in that space I just want to signpost that for listeners I think that's important oh well if we're signposting, maybe we can also just maybe encourage people to let us know if this is an area that they feel passionate about. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so good idea. So this, we're going to now listen to another social worker who also got to work with this couple. And um, I want you to listen to a couple of things in this little brief moment that we have with this social worker. So the, the background is... These two social workers work very closely together in this clinical area. They will often share cases when they can't actually continue to see the family. So ideally, we like to keep the social worker with the family for the entire um, admission, if you like. In this case, it wasn't going to be possible. So what I want to get you to listen to is how well these to continue their care with this couple so listen to how this social worker has I guess in borrowed the relationship that the first social worker has built and how she uses that to give a very consistent message around some of those themes that the other social worker had already started to sow and just to clarify we're jumping forward about in time about 12 hours now aren't we I think it was yeah overnight Overnight. yeah the following following yeah so it would be the it would be the following morning now that the next social worker has picked up this case so the miscarriage has happened yes that's exactly right okay so I came in the next day um and um found out that this couple had given birth overnight they hadn't called the after hours social worker because it was almost time for me to start. Um, it's not ideal um, to, I guess, usually we would at all, if at all possible, continue through um, with, you know, the same, the same couple with the same social worker, but at this, you know, on this day, yeah, I was it. So it was just a, it can be a little bit tricky sometimes coming in halfway through, um, this situation because you haven't been able to build that therapeutic relationship or that rapport with the couple so a lot of it is was about just touching base with them and then asking them and helping provide them with some memory making uh, as surrounding you know what they've gone through so I think I I when I first entered into the room to introduce myself um, and I was I knew that they were already sort of aware of what a social worker does or what can assist with so it was 
um, just in the first instance, just acknowledging their loss again and just being with the family. Um, so sometimes there's like no words that you, you know you can even really say that are going to be helpful. So that use of um, just silence and just being with the family um, in their loss um, can be very helpful. Their little baby had been placed in a cuddle cot which is basically like a little hospital bassinet but it's got a, a cold sort of mattress so that they can um, keep their baby with them as long as they want. Um, and this cuddle cot had been donated by another family who had gone through their own pregnancy loss and so it's quite a special um, cot because it's you know got a little inscription on it so I think it can be quite comforting to the families um, because it has been donated by someone else who's gone through you know something similar not it's never exactly the same but something similar um, so I guess it is about when you walk in a lot of it's about just your presence I guess um, you don't know what you're walking into. These couple were, you know, they were exhausted. They'd been up like most of the night um, and they were just really just lying on the bed um, with their little one next to them. Um, and so it's about just, I guess, matching the, the feel and the mood in the room as well. Um, so coming down to where they are um, and just, I guess, being with them, um, trying to trying to be calm because I guess you know it's like when if you're with someone and they're like really quite jumpy it's really hard not just to become anxious yourself so um, to help this family you know to be a calm presence to be you know someone who they can ask questions for and they know will be able to you know do what they can to help I think is really important as a social worker. And I guess when you walk in, the first thing, you know, is it's important to acknowledge not only the parents, but also the baby as well. Um, and that's to help as um, the other social worker was talking about with disenfranchised grief, just to acknowledge that this is a little baby that they have lost. And then to ask um, what it is that they would find helpful in remembering their little one. Um, so it's really, this is where if you sort of do the intervention yourself, you've been able to have those initial conversations, which I know that um, my colleague had already done. Um, so I was able to, um, to ask them again and just say, you know, what is it that we can do to help you? You know, remember, remember your little one. Um, and it's important, I think, to point out that parents often change their minds so they don't know how they're going to be feeling or how they're going to react before they give birth so it's not uncommon for families to change what they want what, what they want done so it's not uncommon for families who haven't wanted a blessing from like a priest or a minister to to change their minds when the moment comes or um, to say even say that they don't want you know you know some some form of memory making done so I think it's always important to ask them again and I think the midwives and everyone involved is real are really fantastic at at, real, at acknowledging this and um, just always you know, I think it's about continually asking about what would be helpful um, 
So in this case, their little baby was um, with them. They they didn't they hadn't found out what sex it was, um, and they hadn't decided on a name. But it was something that they wanted to down the track. But they were really interested in hand and footprints um, so to take home with them. Um, and then again, it's it's just about asking all the different questions. Do you want to do that with me, or do you want me to do that um, separately? Um, for this couple, they wanted me to do it separately. So I, after further conversation, I, you know, took their baby into another room and we, I did some hand and footprints. So it's kind of a surreal experience. It's sort of not really something that you go home and tell everyone about, about your day. It sort of feels too personal or private or... I don't know that sort of respect for that baby it's like it's unless you're there it's really hard for people to unless you do it it's hard for people to really understand and it's not it's kind of a yeah it just feels too private for that family so out of I guess respect and I think that's why I'm so grateful to have to work with another social worker in the same area um, because I I feel like she knows what it you know what we go through so um, to be able to just know that she understands I guess if that's you know what you've what you've done that day to have that person who knows um, can be really helpful because it is something you can't just tell everyone well that's what I find anyway so for this family they went um, with the option to sprinkle um, with the hospital cremation and um, and they wanted to attend the service um, to be able to um, sprinkle the baby's ashes in this garden um, and it's really it's quite a special service um, and it's you know they acknowledge the loss and um, the funeral home just does it really lovely. After they've um, given birth it can depend on the family how long they want to remain in hospital and I the the ward staff, the midwives, the doctors are all just extremely understanding about um, letting this family decide how long they want to stay with their little one in hospital. Um, and for some families, they just want to go immediately um, as soon as they're medically able to go. For this family, they did stay most of the, the next day with their baby. Um, and. I was able to go back into the room a couple of times for you know my initial um, meeting with the family um, to then me completing the footprints and the handprints and the photos, um, bringing their baby, their little one back to them and then just giving them time and I think a lot of it is just about allowing them to have that time with their little one and without us as well, <laughs> without us like you know continually going into the room but um, you know checking in every now and then and just going with what they would like um, so they left sort of in the that afternoon um, they were also very um, keen to go back to their little toddler um, so you know we did talk about you know what what are some of the things they might say to him because he was looking forward to having a little brother or sister um, but then we talked about you know talking about it in language that he might understand because he was only young 
It really depends. There's no right or wrong answer, I guess. It really depends on the language that might be right for their child, that they know better than we do. It's about just, I think parents often, you know, know, but we sort of encourage them to be honest about what's happened, um, but to frame it in a way that, you know, they might understand. And so then it was just a matter of letting them know you know, the process about where their baby was going to be. Um, this family wanted to know where their baby was going to be at all times, so to be able to be really clear about what hospital the baby was going to be transferred, um, what was going to happen with, um, they were going to take some, um, they were going to get some pathology tests done. So they just wanted to know sort of where their baby was going to be, and I found that has been the same for a number of different families I've had like they would like to know when the baby's being transferred to um, the funeral home for the cremation and they would like to know sort of step by step Um, and I guess it's just about listening to them and you know realizing that this is important for them Um, it's part of their grieving process part of just them being a parent to this little one about wanting to know where their baby is Um, And, you know, until this family was able to um, go to the service at this, um, yeah, the local cemetery. We're back. And you know what I really liked about that second social worker story is actually how she was talking about doing the memory making on her own with that family right and how uh it was just her and them and then she goes back to the rest of her life you remember that Liz yeah and didn't she say it was a very surreal experience of just being in the room with the baby doing the memory making yes the family had said to her you do it for us that's correct they don't need to do that with her so she did it herself with this baby and then thought, ah, oh, this is interesting what I'm doing. You can almost imagine her stepping outside of herself yes. and seeing what was happening around her. <laughs> Do I get paid for this? That's right. This is, is my there, job. Is there a hidden camera <laughs> on me right now? Yes. And then she has to go home that night and people say, how was your day? Right. Okay. So how was your day, darling? And I think she's clearly saying it's not the kind of thing that you can be sharing. No. So you can just imagine it. She gets home and someone says, oh, my God, I had the worst day ever. Someone took my coffee cup and put it on the wrong place on the sink at work. I nearly killed them. That's right. And she's thinking, I did memory making with a dead baby. Yes. Yes. It's a conversation killer, Liz. Uh, Look, I've experienced that at a number of dinner parties and now I just find it's better just to hang out with social workers, really, quite (laughs) frankly. Stick with the tribe. (laughs) Stick with the tribe. Absolutely. But, I mean, I think that's the point of this podcast, isn't it? It's about talking about the work that we do every single day but can't really share with a whole bunch of other people because they just don't get it. And also you will slip into black humour and those inappropriate comments that are inappropriate for everybody else but are so important for you to be able to share and the only place to be able to share those comments or those stories are with your colleagues Mm. they're the only ones who actually understand what that work entails and what that's like so 
I really quite liked that she highlighted that for us. Yes. That actually it was her on her own and how does she now deal with that? I have a real tension around this one too, I must say, because whilst whilst I absolutely agree and get that it is incredibly private work, I also think, my God, though, it is so important, the work that we do. And why is it that it has to be done in an invisible place um, where we only get to share it too. I'm sure if there were a whole bunch of other people that knew what we did in this space, they would know that it's marvellous stuff. But I understand that. But don't you think the flip side of that is that this comes back to what we were talking about before about respect? Oh, absolutely. And respecting the, the family and, and privacy of what they're actually experiencing. Absolutely. So it's like needing to be able to separate the that very personal family story with the actual technique and intervention and the reasons why we do what we do I think so otherwise we risk becoming a reality tv show where there's always possibility well where the world gets insert a camera in a social work department that would be I'd I'd watch that every single night it'd be much better than married at first sight quite frankly but anyway well but kind of on a sort of a similar vein yeah work wives Oh, work wives. Now there's a reality TV show. So, I it, look, it's probably very un-PC um, and I apologise for that, but it's just a term that I have used in my career when I've worked with someone where it's such a, a, a beautiful relationship um, that we're witnessing here tonight. These two have a very consistent approach, a similar philosophy in the way in which they work, a very similar style that would have been very, very healing or beneficial for this couple, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. The fact that they seamlessly could go from the interventions of the day before to interventions of the day after and actually there was so much synergy between the way that the two social workers were speaking about the exact same case you would have thought they'd worked on that case together. Absolutely. And that first social worker could have gone home that night or gone on the holiday knowing they were in safe hands. Yeah. I I think when when you're talking about partnerships in social work, that's what it is. It's that implicit trust, isn't it? Mm. And the respect and integrity that you have for your colleagues. But we need to finish up. Oh, of course we do. Got to wind it up. People have got lives and buses to catch and all of that kind of thing. So Apparently they do. Um, But there is something I just have to uh, let everyone know before we do say goodbye. Um, So in in May, I'm going to be coming down to Melbourne. Oh, my God, I love that city. So do I. And we know we've got listeners down there. So I wanted to say hello to everyone, but particularly Melbourne listeners. If you are sitting there thinking, wow, I've got a story to share – uh, I would need to. I need to have my story on Social Work Stories podcast. Then, what we want you to do is um, get in touch with us as soon as you can, because I'll flick you an email and we'll set up a time and we'll do a recording. And then you can be an anonymous social, one of our anonymous social workers with your fantastic story on our podcast, which oh, would, that be would be great. Exciting! Those big thinking social workers down in Melbourne. Do you think they think differently in Melbourne, Liz? Oh, look, I've got this fantasy that they they do actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're sophisticated. They're coffee drinking. They've got great street art. Oh, Melbourne listeners, challenge us. 
Let Liz know if you're one of those and have a social work story to share. I'll buy you a coffee. <laughs> you will, but I'll be there to drink it with them. So that's fine. Um, so the way you can tell us about your fantastic story that you want to share with us is that you can find us on Twitter at Social Work Story or on Instagram at Social Work Stories Pod. Or you can email us at socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com. So many ways. But I'm so looking forward to my trip down there and I really hope to meet some of you and hear some of those great stories. That would be excellent. Have a great time before we just switch off. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Justin. And thank you, Brenna. Yes. The thank great you. story sculpture Thank you that to you the are. Social Work Stories team. And um, thank you, listeners. We'll... Um, We'll talk to you next time in episode 12. Yep. See you later.